Good morning. Oh, it is good to be here today. What you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with a case pending in a California municipal court. Both parties have agreed to dismiss their court cases and have their dispute settled here in our forum, the People's Court. Hello, I'm Doug Llewellyn and welcome to the People's Court. This is the case of Love Me, Love My Cadillac. I'm Doug Llewellyn, thanking you for joining us and reminding you, if you're involved in a dispute such as this with another party and you just can't seem to work it out, don't take the law into your own hands. You take them to court. I love the eye roll by Doug Llewellyn. Uh, listen, um, my name is Stephen Salvas, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, and it is my privilege to stand here uh, this morning. Uh, this is week 12 in a uh, series of messages that uh, I've entitled The Christ-Centered Church, A Plea for Unity. Uh, we have for, let's see, seven out of eight weeks in the summer, uh, for the past five weeks, counting this week, uh, been going through the first six chapters of First Corinthians. And the theme is exactly this that Jesus Christ is the central focus of the church. He is our foundation. He is who we preach. He is who we point people to as their one and only hope for salvation. And when we keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ and not on the pastor, not on politics, not on music or on the color of the carpet. When we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, unity happens. There's unity in the body of Christ when the body is focused on Jesus Christ, when we are preaching Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. And when we handle the word of God correctly, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. And I'm thankful for that. So if you would turn in your Bibles, please, for the last time, at least for the last time, I'm sure, this year, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you're using the Bible under the scene in front of you, it's on page 954, 954, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you remember, two weeks ago we finished uh, chapter 6, kind of going out of order, uh, including at, with the first two verses of chapter 5. So uh, we are finishing up this series in the first 11 chapters of chapters, uh, pardon me, first 11 verses of chapter 6, the Bible says this. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, 
go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between the brethren? But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one against another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for the morning, for the privilege of sharing from your word today. What a privilege it has been for me over a 12-week span. And as we conclude today, may there be an exclamation point. Oh, God, may your Holy Spirit draw us closer to yourself, closer to one another as a church, as the body of Christ. May people from the outside see the difference that we are making in the lives of one another and in our community. And may they be drawn to Christ as a result. Please, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move this morning. Capture our ears. May we be attentive. Capture our minds. Help us, Lord, to understand. Capture our hearts. Help us to apply your word. Please, do your work even now in this room. In Jesus' name.
Okay, the, the first 11 verses, if you were paying attention as we read, the first 11 verses are full of questions. As a matter of fact, uh, if I counted correct, correctly, the King James has 10 question marks in these 11 verses. The NIV has eight, I believe, if you're using the NIV. The ESV, which is that Bible under the seat in front of you, has nine. And like the King James, if you have the New American Standard, uh, there are 10 question marks in the passage. So it's full of questions. And the first question Paul asks in this chapter is an emphatic denunciation of the behavior of the Corinthian church. Verse 1 says this, Dare any of you, having a matter or dispute against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Okay, and our PowerPoint is not working, so that's okay. So if you recall last week, it's on? Up oh, there we go. I need to go back now. I'm going forward. What do I do? <laughs> I'm stuck. <laughs> I trust you guys. Thank you. Okay, so the problem is I don't know how to work this thing. <laughs> but the problem in the text, the problem in the text, Christians are taking other Christians to secular court in order to settle their disputes. If you recall last week, chapter 5 was all about church discipline and how the church must address sin. God's people, the church, are called to judge sin in a loving and humble way in order to win back a sinning brother or sister in Christ. That was the message last week. We are called to be Fritos corn chips to the world. Unleavened and full of salty deep fried goodness <laughs> to the world. They seemed to go over well last week. We went home with very little. <laughs> so remove the leaven from your lives. Leaven being the symbol of sin in chapter 5. Remove the leaven and be salt to the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. That was the message last week. The connection from chapter 5 to chapter 6 is in the responsibility that we have to judge one another as believers, again in love. But in chapter 6, the love for one another is not evident. Paul writes in verse 1, not only do you not judge those whom you're responsible to judge, who are within the church, but you go outside of the church to have yourselves judged by those who are beneath you. What are you doing, Corinthians? How are you being consistent? Paul asks. And how dare you do this? This is really strong language in the Greek. He is driving a point home here and capturing their attention. Paul uses the phrase, go to court before the unjust, here in verse 1. And he's referring to civil matters. Civil 
matters. Under Roman rule, if the Jews had a dispute among themselves, they were permitted to go before uh, Jewish arbitrators to settle a matter. There's a dispute between two Jews. They could go to a Jewish arbitrator to have the matter decided. Criminal cases went to criminal court. So if a crime was involved, there was a prosecution. The state handled that. But civil matters could be decided in-house, so to speak. The church could do the same. The church had that same option. They could and should have been settling their disagreements within the church. Bring such matters before the saints, Paul is saying. But instead, people's court, you get that connection? But instead, individuals in the church were suing one another before the unjust, or the NIV says the unrighteous. So the inference is this. Those who are not in the church are of the world. Therefore, they are unjust. And therefore, by definition, they're not qualified to judge. It's that simple. Those who are related by faith must settle their disputes like brothers, not like adversaries. We are not one another's enemy in this room. Suing one another only further divides the church. The solution to the problem in the church is found in three questions in chapter 6. Each of these questions begins with the phrase, Do you not know? Or, know ye not? Something you should know. Do you really not know this? Is what Paul is saying. How can you not know? church. You consider yourselves to be so wise. How could you miss this? Paul says. The first solution is found in verse 2. And I wrote it in the form of a question. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? The saints shall judge the world. The term judge here uh, can have the meaning of to rule or to govern This would include that responsibility of serving as a judge, as an assessor of Christ. Psalm 49, 13 and 14, say this. Psalm 49, 13 and 14. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Here's another, Revelation 2, 26 and 27. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. We talked about this in chapter 4 as well. Turn back, just one page. Chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians from chapter 6. Find chapter 4 in verse 8. You remember this? From several weeks ago, 
now you are full. Now you are rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God you did reign so that we might also reign with you. You remember this? Paul was saying, I wish it really were the time of the millennium when it really was time to sit on the throne and to reign with Christ. I would gladly join you. But that time is not yet now. That day is coming. So Paul says here in chapter uh, 6, verse 2, if you're going to judge the world, unbelievers, pardon me, if you're going to judge the world, saints, in the future, if you're going to judge the world, why would you allow the world to make judgments on your behalf here? Why would you do it? Why would you allow the unrighteous to make judgments on your behalf when you are going to sit in judgment over the world in the future. Look at the question at the end of verse 2. Look at chapter 6, the end of verse 2. It says this, If the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? So what, well, listen, what Paul's saying is this, the weightiest matters in the here and now, the weightiest matters today are now uh, are, are infinitely small in comparison with those matters that will be cited there and then. The weightiest matters today are infinitely small compared to those matters we will judge then and there. Second solution, in verse 3, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? Now some people view this as uh, judging fallen angels, and they point to 2 Peter 2, 4, and 9, as well as Jude 6, where the Bible says God is holding fallen angels for judgment. Others view it as uh, our ruling over all angels in eternity. Uh, either way, remember that term judge can mean to rule over. So either way, if we're qualified to judge or to rule over the angels, how much more qualified are we to judge the smallest matters of this life? How much more qualified am I to judge in this life as a believer? That's the question Paul asks at the end of verse 3. Now the problem is that we get to verse 4, this is difficult to understand. It's very difficult verse to interpret. Verse 4 says this, in the King James, it says, if then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. The NIV says something similar. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. The ESV says something totally different. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? The difficult part of that verse to interpret is the phrase which is translated in the King James, least esteemed. 
or men of little account in the NIV. Some commentators take the position that uh, this is referring to the unsaved, and that's the position of the ESV. The ESV says, why do you go before the unsaved to settle your disagreements? John MacArthur agrees with that assessment. He believes any, someone with little account in the church must be someone outside the church. Surely not someone inside. But others take the position that the least esteemed means anyone, however low in the church. Let me talk about that for just a minute. He would have to be a Christian if he's in the church, if he's part of this church. He'd have to be a Christian who may not be as highly respected as others in the church for whatever reason. But remember the history of the church at Corinth. You remember this? They're divided among themselves. So some say, I follow Paul. Well, they're of lesser esteem in the eyes of people who say, I'm of Apollos. You guys are crazy. We don't think really highly of you. And another group, I'm of Peter. And another, I'm of Christ. They're divided here. So there are factions within the church who think that everyone else is of lesser esteem. I think that's what he's getting at here. Why don't you let one of the groups that you really don't think highly of make these decisions? They're still believers. Paul says then, uh, if this is the correct interpretation, that Paul's referring to a believer of low esteem in the church, then naturally verse 6 would follow, I say this to your shame. You should be ashamed of yourself, thinking down on one another. You thinking you, you and your group are so wise, but none of you are stepping up to settle disputes. How about someone from another group? Of course not, because you think too little of them. I say this to your shame and to shame you out of your arrogance. Isn't there anyone wise enough among you who can settle these petty disputes that mean nothing. Verse six, verse 6 then says, apparently not. Apparently not. Now skip to verse 9. I'm going I'm to head back to verse 7 in a little bit. Skip to verse 9 for the third solution. Remember the problem is that Christians within the church are taking their brother in Christ to court to settle disputes among themselves. So far we have the saints shall judge the world. These are the solutions. The saints shall judge the world. So why would you allow the world to make judgments on your behalf? Here. Two, the saints shall judge the angels. So how much more should you be judging the things of this life? Number three, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Unbelievers aren't qualified to judge. So why would you hand that authority over to them? So that they can lord over you and make decisions for you. I'm going to come back to verse 9. Be patient with me. But hear me now. 
this passage, this message is not about lawsuits. It's not about suing one another. It's not about Christians taking one another to court. I put this out there early. Paul's not referring to criminal cases. The majority of you know I'm a police officer. I've arrested a lot of people. I've put a lot of people in jail. I've testified in court plenty of times. I've won most. I've lost a couple. That's our system. I trust it. It's the right thing to do. If it's a criminal matter, there should be a prosecution. That's my position. I can do my job and, and feel fine. I don't feel I'm violating anything biblically at all. Romans 13 makes that clear. Police officers are servants of Christ. I believe that. What Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians 6 is a real-life example of Christians in the church taking other Christians to secular court to settle not criminal matters, but civil matters. It's a real-life example, and the Apostle Paul addresses it in the strongest possible terms. Knock it off! Stop doing it. This isn't about suing one another. It's about how Christians treat one another. That's the message here. How we treat one another in the body of Christ directly affects how the world views the body of Christ. You hear that? How we treat one another here directly affects how the world sees us. What message are we sharing when the world, uh, with the world when Christians are taking one another to court? What message are we sharing to the world? Or when churches are suing other churches? We, Grace Church, here, we are the body of Christ. Can we not then respond in obedience to Jesus Christ? And I think I'm shut off. Did I do something? Ah. Here we go. Thank you. Can we not respond in obedience to Jesus Christ and love one another? Honor one another above ourselves. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I love that term, forbearance, which literally means just put up with each other. You have differences. Your personalities are different. Just put up with each other. It's okay. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Hey, I'm going to sue you, but I'm kind. I'm smiling. That doesn't work. In humility, esteem others better than ourselves. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Colossians 3.13. Encourage one another. Hebrews 10.25. Pray for each other. Live in harmony with one another. Look down at verse 7 for a minute. Look down at verse 7. Here's what Paul writes. 
Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? The word fault in verse 7 of chapter 6 in the King James, that's the word used in, in the King James, is better translated defeat. And I think that's what the NIV says. Better translated defeat. What Paul is saying is this. Going to court against a Christian brother brings defeat before the case is even heard. You've already lost. You might win in the court. But the body has lost. Why not rather accept the wrong? The better choice is to be cheated than to take the matter before unbelievers. And again, Paul is really driving this home. He's already given them a remedy, church. He's already given them a remedy. Take the matter up before the church. It's allowed. Take the matter up here. That's permissible. But if you don't want to do that, accept the wrong. Be cheated rather than go before the world. Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. If you really believe God is sovereign, trust him. Trust him. By taking a disagreement outside the church, you are shouting to the world that Christians are no different than anyone else. They don't love one another, forgive one another, honor one another above themselves, live in harmony with one another, and so on. They are not obedient to the word of God. So how are we, the church, any different? That's the message here. Verse 8 says, instead you're cheating one another. And you're cheating the church. And you're wrong. You're wrong in doing so. Go back to verse 9 now. I want to read verses 9 and 10 again. Listen to this. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. The unrighteous are the doers of wrong. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness. That's why the unrighteous will never inherit the kingdom. It's also why the world, the domain of the unrighteous, the world, is not qualified to judge matters involving believers who are the righteous? Look at this list in verses 9 and 10. They are grievous. They are grievous. 
fornicators. We talked about this two weeks ago. We said enough about it. Idolaters. Worshippers of false gods or of anything that supplants the adoration of our one true God. Adulterers. It's self-explanatory. Effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind. These are sexual sins related to homosexual behavior. Thieves and covetous. Both have to do with greed. One desires what other people have. The other desires what other people have and actually takes it. They both make the list. Drunkards, those who allow themselves to be controlled by alcohol or drugs. Revilers, those who destroy others with words. Extortioners, those who take unfair advantage of others for their own gain. They're swindlers. It's a wide array of sins, wouldn't you say? And the words, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God, are heavy. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But I can go down this list from the top. And I can say, uh, that ain't me. Uh, hmm. Hmm. No, this one ain't me. No, that's definitely not me. Ooh. Huh. That might be me. I don't think that's me, but yeah, that one. That may be me. But here's the victory. You hear me? Twelve weeks worth of preaching. Here's the victory. Right here. You know the faults of the Corinthian church. We've talked about them in detail over the series of messages. But look at verse 11. And such were some of you, that is past tense, such were some of you. But now, look, you are washed. You are clean. What we just read in verses 9 and 10, that's no longer you. That was one at one time. That's no longer you today. You're beautiful in God's sight. You're flawless in God's sight. You're clean in God's sight. Isaiah 1.18, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's what happened when you confessed your sins and turned to Jesus Christ for your salvation. Praise the Lord. Verse 11 doesn't stop there. You're not just clean, you're sanctified. You are set apart for Christ's use. He wants to use you. You're justified. And what a great way to end. You're justified, particularly this message, a fitting conclusion, a reference to a legal term. 
You are clothed in Christ's righteousness and therefore found not guilty before God. This is what the world needs to see in us, church. This. They don't need to see petty disagreements, but what Jesus Christ has done and is doing in and through us. Verse 11 ends this way. In the name of the Lord Jesus, who is the focus of all we do here at Grace Church, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God, which binds our hearts together in unity. We are a Christ-centered church here. Through the, Spirit, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, Paul writes, be in unity. Love one another. The world will see something different in you. That may draw them to Christ. Maintain your unity. It's time to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord, what a way to end. What a way to end. Through 12 Sundays. To get to a climax that says, there was a time you were this. But today, but today, because of Jesus Christ, because of his grace, because of his death on the cross. You are clean. You are sanctified. You're justified. How can we not be moved by that? Oh, may people see that in us. As we pause to observe the Lord's Supper, Lord, this, this is not in any way something we tack on to the end of a service. We remember, Lord, we remember your broken body. We remember your shed blood we thank you for the bread and the cup, which are symbols of your body and blood. Thank you, Lord, for this moment to remember. May our lives reflect what we believe. May we now, oh, may we now, quiet ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, there are tables, as you can see, two up front, two in the back. Um,
If you are a Christian, you do not have to be a member of Grace Church to participate in the Lord's Supper. If you are a Christian brother or sister, please, you are welcome to join us. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, I uh, ask that you remain seated, please. Uh, also, those of you who cannot get up for whatever reason, please just raise your hand if you want to participate in the Lord's Supper. Someone will bring the elements to you. When you come, please take a wafer. Please take the cup. Go back to your seat. We'll partake together. Um, uh, and, and as you do, we want, we want to just be, uh, this is a worshipful moment. Uh, so as, as you come, as you take, uh, a song will be playing uh, on the screen in the background. Thank you. You may come. Hear the cries of the shackled from the onset of time for the chains of defeat. There's no key. See the tears of the broken. Hear the cries. Is there no one worthy to set us free? Then the crying is stilled as the chorus rings out. The shackled released from their chains. Thousands of voices are swelling the song. Worthy the Lamb that was slain.
He is worthy. Jesus said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And afterward, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord, we remember. May we not remember only in these times when we pause in a service to partake, but may our lives reflect that we remember every moment of every day, who you are and what you have done for us. Uh, the word has been preached. May your Holy Spirit do the rest. Bless us as we close in Jesus' name.